Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Today in Science from Wired. A bold plan to save the last whitebark pines. The high-altitude tree is vital to its ecosystem, but it's being decimated by a fungus. Its admirers are fusing old and new methods to bring it back. By Jim Morrison. Melissa Jenkins usually doesn't take pictures on hikes in Montana's whitefish range. She works to restore the whitebark pine here because it's so decimated by a fungus that these gray skeletal ghost forests remain. Pretty haunting symbols of a species that used to be widespread. But last summer, she paused to snap a shot of survivors along the trail, ragged but defiant. She said, I felt like I was walking through soldiers standing guard, even though they had little left to give to the battle. Walking through ghost forests is somber because you can envision what once was and you aren't sure if it will ever be that way again. Jenkins has been working to save these trees for 30 years now, and they grow where no other tree dares to. They grow in sterile soils on exposed slopes, marking the tree line. And they are a habitat and forage for birds and bears in a place where there's nothing else. It represents wildness. It represents my passion for the outdoors, she says. It's a keystone species so important to high-elevation ecosystems. Man introduced the blister rust that decimated this species, and I feel like it's our responsibility to try and help restore the species. So Jenkins is a founding member of the Whitebark Pine Ecosystem Foundation. And she retired from the U.S. Forest Service last summer. But retirement didn't really change anything. She's a federal contractor now who is spearheading a restoration strategy for the crown of the continent ecosystem that covers 18 million acres straddling the continental divide in northern Montana and southern Canada. The Forest Service says there are more dead whitebark pines in the United States today than there are live ones. And in some areas, like northwest Montana, where Jenkins is, up to 90% of the whitebark have died. And in Canada, they've listed the trees as endangered since 2012. So what's killing them? Well, it's a couple of things. Blister rust and pine beetle infestation. And climate change is making it worse. Whitebark pines grow north to British Columbia, south to northern Nevada, west all the way to the Pacific Northwest, and east to Wyoming, and they can grow up to 12,000 feet in elevation, and their trunks are often contorted by crazy harsh winds. 
And they're a keystone species that's critical to the health of the ecosystem there. They have high-protein, high-calorie seeds, like one gram of them has between 5,000 and 7,700 calories. And those seeds are important food for more than 100 species, like grizzly bears and birds and squirrels. They're among the first to regenerate after fires. A nurse tree provides shade and shelter from the wind for the smaller, slow-growing species. And their candelabra canopy slows the snowmelt. That helps regulate runoff and mitigate spring flooding and summer drought, which are important to both drinking and agricultural water supplies. So without these white barks, the West faces a more perilous future. For a decade now, environmental groups have tried to get the whitebark pine, a.k.a. Pinus albicollis, protected under the Endangered Species Act in the U.S., but they've been unsuccessful so far. And in late November, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service proposed giving it threatened species status at least. And Jenkins and other folks working to resurrect this species hope that this new attention will kind of bolster funding that can be used to find some innovative answers. Like, for instance, combining old-fashioned seed collection and grafting techniques with more modern strategies to identify trees that are resilient to the fungus, collect their seeds, and then plant seedlings in places where they'll thrive. Eric Sprague says it's one of the most rigorous, forward-thinking forest restoration efforts in the country. Geneticists, field biologists, field foresters, and nursery staff are engaged in this and thinking through what's needed. And Eric would know. He's the vice president of Forest Restoration for American Forests. That's a nonprofit that's partnered with the Forest Service and the Whitebark Pine Ecosystem Foundation to help plant more than 700,000 trees so far. All right, so now enter another kind of hero. So the whitebark pine regenerates almost exclusively thanks to the Clark's Nutcracker. The what? Yeah, that's what I said too. The Clark's Nutcracker is actually a gray and black bird with this long, sharp-tipped bill. And they're basically foresters with wings. They harvest ivory seeds from cones and they store them in this throat pouch. And then they fly as far as 20 miles away and bury them in little caches of four or five seeds to get them through the winter. And each bird hides tens of thousands of seeds in thousands of locations. And just like me, they forget where they put stuff. So essentially, they're planting new whitebark colonies all over the place. But the problem here is fewer living trees means fewer seeds for the birds to carry away and bury. So, of course, that's going to reduce the tree species' regeneration. Now, in recent years, the trees have been felled mainly by a fatal fungus introduced to North America more than a century ago from pines that were imported from Europe. Diana Tombeck is a professor of integrative biology at the University of Colorado, Denver, and she's the founder of the Whitebark Pine Ecosystem Foundation. And she studied these trees for four decades. She says white pine blister rust is the existential threat. It is spread by wind and it cannot be contained. The foundation of restoration is finding these resistant individuals. So these rust spores come from infected currant or gooseberry shrubs. And they get into the whitebark pine through its needles, and then they move down to the branch, and a canker develops as the infection works its way through to the trunk. And what it does is it prevents the tree from taking up water and nutrients. There are a few trees, though, it's only about 5% in some areas, that have a natural resistance. So now people are going to start doing what the birds have been doing. Foresters look for these resistant tree specimens to see if they could work as what they call a mother tree. 
these trees could produce offspring that are genetically resistant to this fungus. So in July, climbers go out and cage the cones of those trees to keep the Clark's nutcracker from getting at them. And then they go back in September and collect them. They take the seeds out of the cones and they grow them for two years in a forest service nursery. And then they bring in some leaves that are infected with the rust spore, and they lay the leaves over these trees to see if any of the trees are resistant to it. And then they watch them for five years. Why so long, though? Well, see, just because the trees might appear to be rust-resistant, that doesn't mean they actually are. The mother tree nominee could have just gotten lucky and escaped infection. Melissa Jenkins says, at a minimum, it's eight years between when you collect the seed and when you find out how resistant it is. But, as you can imagine, collecting the cones is expensive, and it requires taking the long view. Seedlings cost $2.15 each, including the cost to collect seeds and grow them in the nursery. So, restoring an acre runs about 800 bucks. That doesn't seem too bad. But Tombak says the whitebark range encompasses about 55 million acres in the United States. And the National Restoration Plan's goal is to plant between 11 and 16 million acres of them within 15 years. And whitebarks don't even begin producing cones with seeds until their fourth or fifth decade. And they might not bear them in large enough numbers until they reach the 100-year mark. Some of these trees live a thousand years or more. So, foresters are going to try and trick time. Some of the seedlings at the nurseries are grafted with a small cone-bearing branch from the top of the mother tree. And these have grown young conelets within a year, but they won't be pollinated until the trees are large enough to support mature cones. If successful, though, this could eliminate decades of waiting for seeds. According to Tomback, these orchards are investments for the future to make it easier to gather seeds and grow seedlings. But we need another technology. Well, fire up the gene sequencer. The Whitebark Pine Ecosystem Foundation is raising funds for a project that could identify fungus-resistant trees by analyzing a small amount of needle tissue. And again, Tomback says... We hope by identifying the genes which can confer resistance, we can shortcut the process for figuring out which trees are resistant. In the meantime, then, the pilot restoration strategy for the Flathead National Forest, Glacier National Park, and the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribal Lands in Montana has found the places most likely to be successful for these few seedlings and the funding they have available. Sprague points to the Repairing Existing Public Land by Adding Necessary Trees, or Replant Act, that had bipartisan backing in Congress to fund $120 million more every year as one step toward the needed support. The bill was pushed by forestry associations, hunting groups, and outdoor recreation groups, and it passed the House but didn't get a vote in the lame duck Senate session, so it'll be reintroduced in the new Congress. And so far, restoration has been pretty slow. Like in the Flathead National Forest, between 30 and 125 acres have been planted each year in recent years, and that's just a fraction of what's necessary, Jenkins says. She says it's going to take a long time. It's complicated. The more we learn, the more we realize what we don't know, but we've got a really good start. In the past, she used to wonder if the tree she sees as a companion on those high-elevation hikes could survive, but now she has hope. She says, it depends on how much humans want to invest. We can definitely restore this species, there's no doubt in my mind. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.